Welcome to Amgo Radio 9.6. We are facing down the Indiana fighting Hoosiers. Except they're not really fighting very much this year. They're pretty bad. They're the Hoosiers. W-H-O, because we don't know any of them, even though we've been facing these guys every single year. Uh, yeah, this is this is another bright side of the oncoming reorganization of the Big Ten, is that Michigan will not be playing Indiana every single year in football, <laughs> along with Rutgers and Maryland. Alex and I were trying to figure Sorry. out what was the last year we didn't play them. It was 2012. Uh, wow. Well, in any case, uh, Indiana comes to town tomorrow uh, with their tail between their legs. They are the winners, uh, owners of a four-overtime victory over Akron. They beat up on Indiana State, and then they lost to Louisville, uh, Ohio State, and then uh, what was our most recent outing? Maryland. Maryland. They got yeah. absolutely hand-blasted by Maryland. And, I mean, it's good and bad <laughs> because Michigan, you watch the first game against Ohio State, and you're like, okay, these guys have a pretty salty defense. And it turns out that they don't really. Um, <laughs> but we should start with the offense, which is a complete disaster zone. Well, uh I, are, are you are you cute. keep are you keeping the sponsors away from Indiana on purpose again? Oh no 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 no! <laughs> let's let's thank our sponsors. We'd like to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. Check them out at UGP Michigan Apparel or check out our selection of shirts on the MGoBlogStore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors: Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lendor, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by Forum, Human Element, Wideward Organics, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, and Signal Wire, where we are live currently. All right, so Alex, you uh, are probably filing some sort of OSHA suit against me for making you watch this Indiana offense, but what did you gather from it? Uh, they're not very good. They... <laughs> <laughs> I don't like they, them, uh... sir! <laughs> it's bad! <laughs> so this one's going to be their first game with a new offensive coordinator. They fired Walt Bell. The new offensive coordinator gets a bonus. If they average twenty four points per game the rest of the season, twenty four. So, that's like that's underneath the the Ferentz <laughs> level. It is underneath the Ferentz level. In, in so, fairness, Ohio State averaged twenty five points against the best defense in the Big Ten the last two years. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, it's the problems kind of start with the quarterback spot where they haven't really found a great answer between Taven Jackson. And Brendan Soresby, Jackson is still the guy. Tom Allen said this week he's our starter, but the most recent game saw Jackson get pulled for Soresby, so that's kind of a negative indicator. Uh, Jackson's best game was against Louisville. That's the game I charted. He made a few throws in that game, but his downfield success rate looks a lot better than I think the full complexion of his game because if you look at it, he had a lot of neutral throws, and he also had a lot of screens. So the actual number of throws he made downfield that were good events was much lower than the way we calculated. And the reason is he throws a lot of marginal balls, all of them too high. That's his big thing. He, he makes the receivers leap up and make a lot of tough catches. Um, and then they have him throw a lot of short stuff in screens because of that as a result. And so really the crux of this offense is just getting the ball out quick and getting it to Jalen Lucas. That's that's their main thing. Yeah, one thing that I noticed when I was looking at their PFF numbers is that, one, they almost never have a sixth or seventh guy blocking for the passer. It's just the five offense alignment. Mm-hmm. And two, two of those offense alignment are getting a 44 and a 35 grade. So <clears throat> that is 18 and 10 pressures given up. And in the context of the Indiana offense, we're a big chunk of their passing game is just Walt Bell screens. That's pretty hideous. And their true pass set grades get worse. So if Michigan is able to put uh, Indiana in passing downs, I mean, game over, really. Yeah, I mean, if you remember last year, Indiana had that just god-awful offensive line where they had the West Texas A&M transfer starting. (laughs) It's not that bad this year, but it's still real bad. And... They have two new tackles that we did not see last season. Again, it's hard to get a good sense of the pass protection in part because they don't have that many sustained dropbacks, but there were enough wobbles against Louisville 
enough instances where things are starting to break down before they got it out real quick to get a sense that this is not a very good offensive line in any way. And you can see that because they cannot run the ball at all. Their yards per carry clip this season across their five games are really the four that count because Indiana State is a terrible FCS team. But the other four games, the yards per carry clips are brutal. Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of feel like we just keep having the same podcast where it's like, can these guys move the ball at all on Michigan? And everybody says, nope. I, I mean, we, we should figure out what's, like, the one thing that's going to work, right? Like, we, we're, there's always one thing, right? And it's like, is there a thing that Indiana does that's going to be like, oh, Michigan's got to solve something for that? Well, I kind of feel like Jalen Lucas on the perimeter is going to be that. Because Josh Wallace... His his grading over the course of his career at UMass was not great as a run defender. We haven't seen Mike Sainer still replicate his I'm Dax Hill 2022 yet. And uh, Will Johnson had a couple of crack replace issues uh, after he came back soon. So, you know, <clears throat> if they're able to isolate Lucas on Michigan's uh, secondary, yeah, I think they, they might leak some yards there. But you can't build the whole plane out of wide receiver screens. <laughs> Yeah. Or or Walt Bell would still have a job. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lucas, uh, for just a little back information for the listeners, is a 5'9", like 170, half running back, half wide receiver. He leads their team in both catches and carries, so they get him the ball all the time. But Indiana plays with two running backs quite a bit. Uh, their traditional between-the-tackles runner is Christian Turner, our old friend. Whereas Lucas tends to line up more in the slot, so a lot of his carries are jet sweeps and reverses. They had a lot of cool stuff cooked up in terms of misdirection and uh, end arounds, all that sort of stuff. But and a lot of them didn't work that well because the offensive line just doesn't know how to block for it. But uh, Lucas is also a great returner, which we'll get to his special teams later. But Definitely the preferred way of getting him the ball is, is running a screen or just a jet sweep, something like that. Run him out short. He had a couple wheel routes, angle routes, things of that nature as well. So we'll see how linebackers and, and other draft safeties do if they get matched up onto him. So that's something to keep an eye on in, in this game. But he's certainly the focal point of their offense. You, you, were, you and I had a disagreement on Cam Camper. Because I was like, okay, we got to put a star in this guy. And you're like, I am not putting two stars on this offense. (laughs) (laughs) That was the central disagreement. But, yes, Camper's a pretty good player. He he had that one play last year on Michigan where he got a jump ball against, I think it was DJ Turner, and he came down with it. Yeah, they'll they'll probably jack it up to him once or twice. But if the quarterback doesn't have a lot of time, and it probably won't, I don't think they'll target him as much. And honestly, not putting the star on camper in part is just because the downfield passing game is is so brutal at this point in yeah. time. But yeah, I mean the other thing that they could get is you mentioned camper. Donovan McCulley is the other starting wide receiver on the outside, former quarterback who Michigan actually played at quarterback <laughs> because they were so down on <laughs> the the night game in Ann Arbor. That was the weirdest game. <laughs> but that that guy was six five, is six five. So you could see a replication of those those early bowling green shots where they managed to hook up on a fade downfield because fades don't actually take a long time to throw. Yep. But if you've watched Michigan play defense this year, it's going to look like that. It's going to look like Michigan against bowling green. Yeah. I mean, they're, I would say bowling greens tight ends are better. Like you talk about missing AJ Barner. Like (laughs) these guys are so bad. All of where they, they're playing four different guys. And this is this is definitely getting into the weeds. <laughs> this is what we're doing right now. We're previewing. No, Indiana. no, we don't. <laughs> we, we we don't need to talk about Indiana's tight end. They don't. They don't. Relevant. They don't throw to them, and they're pretty bad at blocking. That's yeah. what you need to know. Oh, All they're right. miserable. Yeah. All right, I got that off so my let's chest. Take, let's take a break. <laughs> come back. Talk about the defense. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. 
It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.6. We continue with our preview of the Indiana Hoosiers, this time turning to their defense. Historically, a fairly salty unit under Tom Allen, and they held uh, Ohio State to 23 points in the opener. So everybody's like, all right, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I think it's pretty <laughs> impressive holding Ohio State to 23 points last year. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so the thing is, is, you go and you look at their rush defense, and they – have always been pretty tricksy with the cornerbacks, and they they come after you a lot. And then they have one or two dudes in their front seven, and it looks like they're still trying all that stuff, but they don't. The dudes don't exist. So against FBS competition, uh, teams have rushed for seven point two, five point three, five point two, and four point six yards a carry. Yes, Ohio State is last on that list. <laughs> <laughs> And just, they're feels, just taking so many shots this segment this, this podcast, aren't they? Well, it's <laughs> it's it's true, and we might talk about this in the fourth segment a little bit, but uh-huh. they really can't run the ball at all. Any case, uh, this is an Ohio State team that put up three yards of carry against Maryland from their main back, and uh, they were able to exceed that by fifty percent against Indiana. And then Louisville, Akron, and Maryland is really not a murderer's row of rush offenses and they are getting absolutely crushed. So that's what the Tom Allen defense is always built on, right? They have a couple of inexplicably good members of their secondary. They crush you on the ground and then you get put in long yarded situations where they have a suite of blitzes that are pretty tricky to pick up. But if you can't shut down the opposition's ground game, you're just in trouble. Yeah. This defense, I think a couple of their results that people are holding up, are a little bit uh, questionable because you look at that Ohio State game and, you know, they gave up 23 points. Everyone's saying, okay, this is a great showing, but it was still 5.7 yards per play. There is 
a few things that held them Ohio State to 23 points. There was a turnover in Indiana territory. They kicked three field goals, including two uh, of under 25 yards. So you, you turn those into touchdowns, and this gets out of hand real quick. So that's one thing. And then you look at the Louisville game, which I charted. They were down 21 nothing at halftime. And Louisville had hung 300 yards of offense on them in the first half. And then in the second half, it just kind of kept happening that Louisville would have a drive killed by one negative play. Like that, they'd move the ball well, they'd get it going, they'd get into Indiana territory, and then they'd have a minus eight TFL where the blocking just goes horribly wrong or a intentional grounding, that, that sort of thing. They also had an interception. So Indiana's kind of survived off of that, but when you look at them giving up as many yards as they did to Akron, I think 470-something, that's a little more indicative. And against Louisville, the rush defense indeed was a real problem to me. Louisville was able to gain four or five yards of carry pretty consistently, and especially when it came time to win the game after Louisville had dilly-dallied a lot lot in that second half. uh, they, They stopped Indiana on a fourth and goal from the one situation. But then they needed to to run the clock out with about four and a half minutes left, and they were able to. They were able to keep it on the ground, keep it rolling. And what I saw from that game, from their defensive tackles, who look like just guys, it certainly feels like Michigan should be able to to move them around. Yeah, pro football focus's grading for the Indiana defense isn't actually that bad. Uh, <clears throat> I think part of it is they got spiked from that uh, Indiana State game. Like I think that's a, a thing across their grading on in both offense and defense. That's if you'd feel like pro football focus would try to account for that, but it is kind of difficult. One thing that did pop out as a big problem is if you sort by tackles, their third and fourth leading tacklers are safeties with an average depth of tackle of 7.3 yards. So there's an absolute ton of stuff getting into the safety level against this defense. And they have one like solid edge player and Andre Carter, the Western Michigan transfer who seems like he's actually a player. Uh, but yeah, like, what are you doing in Indiana, man? <laughs> like that, that is a question. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but then, you know, they have a couple of defensive interior players who grade out pretty decently, but then it's just guys. I'm, I'm really uh, surprised they're grading out. Well, like when yeah, I watched I, them, they're I terrible. Was, I was stunned by that. Let, let me what. let me clarify. There is one guy. Grading <laughs> <out this laughs> yeah, and I was even confused by that guy's grading. But Blitty, uh, uh, Texas, yeah, Texas Tech yeah, transfer, Phillip, yeah, Philip Blitty. Um, the other edge that they have opposite Carter is the stand-up edge position. That one, they're running a guy at two forty or two fifty at that spot, and Louisville was able to just cave him in regularly and run off tackle and. Given what Michigan's tight ends did against Minnesota, feels like that's something that could be easily exploitable. This is going to be the AJ Barner revenge tour. <laughs> <laughs> you, you made me play in that offense. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's some reality to that because, like the these guys, they've tried to bulk up a couple times against Louisville and they couldn't. Their best player in the their best player is their middle linebacker Aaron Casey, yep. who I think. It's come a long way. Last year, he is just kind of like a – he's a really fun piece to blitz, and he's still very much that. Like, when you get Indiana's, like, you know, the way their whole system works is they're going to get you behind the sticks one time because they have interesting blitzes. They get you from weird angle, and Aaron Casey gets in the backfield and, you know, squirrels down your quarterback, and that's how they get off the field. And this year, he's making his tackles. Right. Last year, he was missing a lot of them, but – this year, his tackle grade is, has gone way up. He looked a lot more sure-handed there. He had a great game against Ohio State and had some big-time plays against Louisville, too. So he's a pretty yeah. good player. But the thing for them I thought was interesting is uh, last year, they clocked in at a super-high pressure metric. They, over 50% uh, snaps were more than four players uh, rushed the quarterback. This year, it was more around 30%, so much lower. And against Louisville, they were very... Um, mild in the first two-thirds of that game, roughly. And then when they were in trouble, that's when Tom Allen started ramping it up. So yeah. I, I'd be interested to, to chart that against other teams, but not not quite as blitzy as last year, I guess. Yeah, and other than Carter, they do not really have a guy who is threatening to Michigan. I mean, all of their pro football focus grading is very, very mid in this uh, department. And then Carter has a 13% win rate. The other edge has an 11% win rate, but 
Um, <clears throat> both those guys only grade out in the mid 60s, which is a little bit odd. Uh, it kind of feels like the necessary explanation for that is those are guys who lose their lanes. So if they do get pressure, there's a significant chance that McCarthy's going to break the pocket. And we've seen a lot of what happens when McCarthy's able to do that. It doesn't feel like they're going to be, I mean, in a position to both get to McCarthy and get to McCarthy in such a way as that they get a sack instead of a scramble or a Roman Wilson rolling away from my throwing arm dart. Well, Carter is more like 270. He's more like a Wormley type. So, I mean, he's a he's going to try to mosh rush a little bit, and his job is really to kind of keep the Husky that's their nickel, their hybrid guy, um, no Pierre clean. And he's like the only other guy on this defense, I think. He's like a – he's Indiana Samer still. Just like he, he'll, he'll, he gets in there, he just, you know, he, he makes plays, but, you know, he's not really great to be – this is not this is not against Sainer still. He's just not like he doesn't belong on this defense the way that like they play right now. Um, they really need someone who's more kind of linebackerish because they're just so light and they're getting so beat up. Um, but if you can keep Pierre clean, then you know he's a guy who's gonna blitz sometimes. He's gonna make plays. He's gonna be annoying in that nickel spot. But like they're built not really for Michigan. Like this is like you said, this is going to be an AJ Barner game. It's like, well, once you add Colson Loveland to that and you add Max Bredesen to that, like they just don't have the dudes to hand to handle size. The secondary, uh, they have a couple of safeties who are grading out pretty well, both against the rush in the past. But as mentioned, those guys are making tackles seven yards downfield. They're doing that very well, but <laughs> can't build a defense on that. The cornerbacks are just guys. There's no Taiwan Mullen here. Kobe Kobe Miner and Jamari Sharp are both kind of indistinguishable, functional, not horrible, but also not playmakers. I thought Kobe Miner was okay in that game. The safety grades were a little confusing to me because Louisville was able to take the top off the defense several times, and I felt like there should have been more responsibility put on the safeties for that personally, but... I don't I don't know exactly how they broke that down, but yeah, Louisville hit a couple deep shots. Um, so that's something to keep in mind with Roman Wilson, obviously being a, a character that you could potentially use in that situation. They had an 85 yard touchdown, which was just a deep ball and then a, a catch and run after that. They also had a deep pass on their first drive. That is a touchdown. If Jack Plummer doesn't weigh under throw the ball and instead it's just caught and tackled. And they had another deep ball that got nullified by a hold. And then they had a fourth one that was thrown down to the goal line. It hit the receiver in the hands, bounced up in the air, and was intercepted. So (laughs) there was possibly four passes of 30, 40 yards downfield that could have been completed in this game and counted. So I think that's something Michigan will look to do. I think they'll be comfortable just running the ball and churning it out at four, five, six yards a carry. But if you want to throw it deep a few times, it probably will be there too. It's, There's just not a lot here that's threatening. It's hard to guess exactly how a defense is going to play us, but Indiana played a lot of quarters against Ohio State, and I think they were using a little bit against Louisville as well. And they're more normally a cover two team, so it's not that hard to go to that. But if you remember, Michigan State used to get, you know, they're, they're one, the one spot you used to get like that good Michigan State team was if you just have a slot receiver go deep because those safeties are, are part of the run defense and they're putting that run so they're always at like eight yards or something i kind of think that this game because they're going to want to stop the run first and foremost Allen's probably going to bring those safeties down to like six yards at times because they love to have those guys place replace aaron casey and blitz with aaron casey so if they get salty if you will or like you know they're <laughs> tricksy like that's what they're probably going to do at michigan and like you know, make them throw over their heads. I don't really trust those safeties to get back. Neither uh, Philip Dunman, who's a true sophomore, should not really be playing yet. And Jordan Greer are fast at all. They're just they're guys. Yeah, I just don't see that being the case because against Ohio State, Marvin Harrison's usually on the outside. He's your big problem. Right. Michigan's big problem is in the slot. So being run quarters against that, that seems suicidal. So I think we're going to see more cover two blitzy blitzy corners kind of thing because that's what they've historically done against Michigan when they go big. Yeah. But they add those corners to the equation and it's, it's worked decently well. They've been an annoying defense in a way that, you know, Nebraska hasn't that Minnesota hasn't. So it's possible that Michigan uh, doesn't really know what they're looking at for a bit of time, but then you look at what's going on with their rush defense against teams that aren't that great. And you're like, there's, there's no way. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
that's that corner can blitz and it's not going to matter because the entire def- defense is going to be on its ass. So, just, well, it's an opportunity to bring out some of that power stuff you've been talking about. And we'll get into this in the uh, in the UFR segment, but you know, Michigan's been putting together their pin and pull. They've been fighting, you know, they they've been threatening arc even if they haven't run it. They've had McCarthy keep it a few times. So Michigan has some, you know, tools in the edge bucket now that can really punish a team if they try to do that. All right. Uh special teams, anything really to note here? Alex, you mentioned Lucas as a returner. Yeah, Lucas is a really good punt returner and kick returner. Last year, he flashed as a kick returner. I think he was Big Ten Returner of the Year. Yeah, he had two touchdowns as a kick returner. Yeah, yeah, he was really good in that role last season. So, capable in that regard. Their field goal unit's been pretty good. I think they're 6 of 6 on the season. Haven't missed, haven't attempted to kick longer than 50, but I don't think they missed one. So, they seem competent in in that part of the game. They still have that same punter from last year who, like, he's he's a New Zealander, which is, like, discount... um, Australian. He's just like a he, he's got like a 35% return rate, which is not what you want to see out of an Aussie punter, right? Cuz like the whole idea is they're supposed to direct it away so that ball punt's going to drop and they can roll sometimes, but he actually gives up returns pretty often. Yeah, he was uh their kick guy last year, 29 returns for 272 yards. That's 9.4 a pop. That is not good, but it doesn't look like Michigan is particularly well positioned to take advantage of it since they're still rotating through two part returners. Um, one of whom seems shaky and the other whom of whom seems also shaky. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, we're going to take a break, come back and take one last look back at the UFR from the Minnesota game. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner, founder and president at peak wealth management. Check us out at peakwmcom slash When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota or run a three quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25% as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced, co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning lessees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693.
Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.6. This is the time on Sprockets when we talk about the uh, previous game for the last time. After going over it with a fine-tooth comb uh, offensively, I don't know what to say. Like, man, it's more of the same. <laughs> like, I was, I was trying. I was like doing this, and I'm like, I gotta have something interesting to say. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, not really. I mean, I guess what I would say is that they they went to much more of a gap-blocked approach, which. Um, I think makes sense against a, a four three. This is probably the first base four three they've played this year, and <clears throat> it looked fine. My grading got a little weird because there was only forty four snaps for the starting offensive line, and with so much gap block stuff, I'm not grading the backside of that play. Right? Because you can't you can't screw it up. There's, <laughs> it's impossible to screw up. So I'm not like not giving you a dollar for making a hinge block on the backside of power. You don't, you don't get money for that. Um, but overall, Ladarius Henderson was a plus four, minus zero. Pass protection was excellent. Uh, there was one corner blitz that got through that you could put on Henderson, but I didn't think it was realistic for him to be able to to read that because they were also stunting to that side. It was pretty clever. Um, <clears throat> so that was the one minus two dropback event JJ had in the game. He had a couple more uh, throws where he had to deal with uh, a minor pass protection issue, but other than that, he was completely clean and turned in another JJ-esque performance. Now, for down the road, the most interesting things are they did run a couple additional RPOs. Uh, JJ had some more live reads. Some of them were in the low red zone, which I don't like, but you know they worked. And they are continuing to diversify the run game. So we saw a crack sweep that didn't work, <laughs> um, <we laughs> but but should work in the future, and, right? Like it should work in the future. Yeah. yeah, we saw a pin and pull. We we saw them run their power trap to get a near touchdown for Donovan Edwards. You know, it's all coming along. And I did chart the Tuttle time drive, which had the backup offensive line in. And I think the reason Ladarius Henderson is starting and will continue to start is while Miles Hinton had two plus ones in one drive, which is half of the pluses Henderson racked up in most of the game. (laughs) He also had a minus two. So you have to avoid minus twos if you're going to have the kind of ground game that Michigan has where a tackle for loss is a once in a blue moon event and you're always moving the ball forward and you're putting huge amounts of pressure on the opposing defense to come up and come up and come up. You know, once you get in long yardage, that goes away. So Henderson is the is the pick here, especially because he performed excellently in pass protection. Like he wasn't close to an issue. So I think we're done there, and that's that's what's going to be going forward. And then Colin Mullings had another pretty good game. Uh, he did miss one cut, which I I knocked him for, but he had that uh, third and four conversion where he popped out and really instinctively knew when to cut upfield. Uh, he had a spin move which was crazy. He had that <laughs> absolute decleater blitz pickup. Uh-huh. So block of the week. He's the block of the week. And uh, we've heard some rumors that he's uh, also had a bit of a problem with his hands. So I don't know if we're going to see him a lot more. But, you know, other than that, it's pretty much par for the course, which is good, but not interesting. Uh, what did you see defensively, Seth? Mason Graham. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Again, I mean, there's you, you say like there's things you got to pick out. I mean, we had to talk about the the outside zones, but let's start with Mason Graham because it was better than we thought. And I I started having to pay more attention to uh, which guy he was doing it to because Minnesota's got some good blockers on that team, and then they've got this guy number seventy one whose name I don't need to call out. But uh, whenever he got involved things happened and a lot of the Mason Graham events were against that guy and some of them worked against that guy but there were just there's these moments when you're just like I can't believe this guy's doing this like he shoves this guard all the way back into the running back's path as the running back's about to get the play yeah you've seen we, we remember the play where like he blows up that outside zone that's been working all day right because he just gets in the backfield the tight end who's been coming across and actually spreading them out too far just gets just slams into Graham he chucks him off doesn't care about that guy and tackles the running back on okay we've seen that now he does that by actually putting a guard into that running back too it's just like the same play and then um 
There was that play we talked about on the pu- with the push pull on the end. He did it twice in a row, not once. So it's like it it was better than we thought. And this guy's playing with a club on his hand and was just, you know, incredible. And like we, we say, Mo Hurst, but there are Mo Hurst was always, you know, until he was a senior, he wasn't like that. And Mason Graham was doing this as a true sophomore. So there's, I I. I I don't know where, <laughs> how you can get better, but this was a decent offensive line, not necessarily at pass protection, but this was mostly run defense stuff. Whenever, As soon as they tried power, Michigan just swallowed them. Um, Josiah Stewart came in for a pretty strong uh, game. They're, uh, they tried running power one time to try to break up the, because Michigan was finally adjusted to the stretch, and they tried to, you know, they, they tried to get around Stewart, right? When that's been his problem is his edge defense, and he just, shoves a guy backwards and fixes it and takes the running back down himself. I'm like, well, if you, you know, if you can do that, you can stay inside. I'm a little worried that he might not be able to do that all the time, but Minnesota had a pretty good left tackle, and that's the guy, uh, Ursery, uh, Ursery uh, was the guy who did that too. Who's, yeah, he's yeah. yeah, he's done a great job this year. So yeah. you, know, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's just more of what happened last week against Taylor Corcoran. No. Yeah, Taylor Corker is is terrible, and this guy is actually grading out very well. And you know, it's while I have issues with their their run blocking, like it's pretty easy to tell if someone gave up a pressure, right? Yeah. So pro football focus pass pro, I'm like, all right, yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable. Like you can't be like, ah, <laughs> this guy right. gave up a sack and be wrong about that. That's not like there's maybe you can miss misattribute things on stunts or whatever, but I think it's pretty reliable and they're grading him out excellently. So for him yeah. to be able to, to get some work done against that guy is encouraging because he was, uh, I would say close to a non-entity for the first three or four games. And we're finally kind of seeing what it was that made him such an attractive portal uh, target. Absolutely. And you know, he's, he's adding to his repertoire as a pass rusher. So like, you know, he was, he, he got the, uh, he got it on a bull rush this time. And like yeah. when you're, you know, a six foot, two hundred thirty-five pound, whatever guy he is. I know that he's listed two fifty, but he's definitely smaller than Derek Moore, right? So you're not expecting him to like to be the bull rusher, and it it gets that it gets Ursary off his feet because he's not expecting that. That's not what he thinks is coming. Um, to talk about the the zone stretches, Michigan was a lot of times playing um, four on three, or actually um, five on three, because they have the running back and they have four blockers and they can double those defensive tackles and there's only one linebacker there helping them out because the other linebacker they're they were moving the tight end one way they're moving the receiver another way and first that also kind of switched up who was on whom but Michigan was just overcovering that they had a guy for the quarterback if he rolls out they have a guy for the tight end they have a guy for the wide receiver and once you have all those guys you don't have enough people inside unless you're adding safeties. And they're keeping their safeties back and seeing if their defensive tackles could just cover all that space. But when you stretch, Michigan's ends are going to stay on the outsides. So when you stretch out that much space, it's just too much for even Mason Graham. And Kenneth Grant, you know, tried to play it, but you have to, like, be able to stop and shuck a guy off you, and it's really yeah, hard to do there's that. No, there's really no way if you get a play-long double on a stretch play, and especially since one of those guys is going to be play side of you, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, you know, there's no defensive tackle in the world that's going to be able to do that consistently. Yeah, but because they tried. You ha- <laughs> I mean, I guess it's I, I guess it's proof of concept that that doesn't work, right? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels it feels pretty cocky to even be like, ah, maybe this will work. No, it didn't work. Right. So, so I mean, that's the question. Was it was Michigan being really cocky, being like, well, we've got Mason Graham and Chris Jenkins, let's give this a shot, or were they say, or was like Junior Colson just not activating? And that's what I'm a little bit more concerned about because this was finally a game where he, they kind of made him think a little bit, and you know, he's been grading out very positively this year, doing things that are not really related to like reading the play and actually having to, you know, get a feel for what's go- what's about to happen to you. There was that other play, um Macari Page ends up knocking it down and uh but it, was, it it could have gotten some big yards cuz Colson is just right. vastly overplaying the run on the RPO. Sure. Um should probably clarify which play you're talking about before you <laughs> Yeah. Well, the the, the the play that Macari Page bats down. That Macari Page is blitzing on that play and it's an RPO. Right. But like I don't know how much you want to, you know, I, I can't really talk that much about the secondary because nothing was getting, not very much was getting to them. 
and you know there's the there's the touchdown and in the end I I was a little wrong on our first podcast um I remembered the play after when we were talking about it then as Samer still getting a little bit further inside. No, he actually he bites a little bit on a on a double move. They're about four or five yards away from the outside. So he should have some safety help. Keon Sab is the other guy who was involved. I gave both of them negative ones and I think that's fair. Um but like if you're asking Samer still to play cornerback, you know, the positional awareness and everything like that, like it's it's a little difficult for a guy who's just learned nickel last year, and now he has to learn outside cornerback as well. And that's a kind of a subtle thing. Um, and then people are asking about Rod Moore and Will Johnson uh, just because they don't show up on screen very much. Will Johnson gets the pick six, obviously. That was set up. But the way they played that was just very veteran. Like, you have to sell that, right? So they're what they're doing is they're running a cover two that looks like cover three. And it punishes teams that kind of attack that little zone underneath cover three that Rutgers was annoying us with, right? And in order to sell that, in order to get the quarterback to look away from the safety and actually start coming down, you have to take steps that look like you're not running what you're running. They're actually running a quarters coverage, and they both do a very good job of kind of like selling what they're doing and then getting into their spots. And that's what causes the pick six, which was – you know, very. Cool. It was not just a Minter thing. It's like these guys know how to sell what Michigan's playing. So I was. I think that those guys are coming around. I think that you know that was game three for them, and they kind of feel like they're ready for Big Ten football now. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back and look at the national picture halfway through the season. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Welcome back to MGAR Radio 9.6. We'd like to thank Pajamas. They will be at the Blind Pig on October 26th. 28th, 28th, I think. 28th. Yeah. 28th. Saturday night. Uh, the uh, the bye week. The bye week. So if you're bored on the bye week, go to the Blind Pig. All right. Uh, we're halfway through the regular season-ish. You know, 
but we thought we'd take a look at what's happening nationally. And I think the first thing that we're going to start with is Ohio State because they are in a spot where McCord seems to be rounding into form. They seem to have fixed a lot of their issues with giving up big plays on defense, but they have some major issues. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to graph Michigan's uh, power success rate for the UFR because they're around 90%. They're basically in a dead heat for fourth nationally in that. And then I looked at Ohio State. Ohio State's power success rate is worse than Iowa. It's worse than Stanford. What? It is 61% power success rate. Well, that's why third and two is a passing down for them. Well, yeah. it's And we talked about this last year, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't look find this out during the game, but after the game, it was like, yeah, their power success rate was in the 120s nationally. And so that's why they're throwing to Cade Stover on fourth and two. And that has not changed at all. I mean, they ran a, a, a jet sweep on, was it, was it third or fourth down against Notre Dame? Doesn't it was really. fourth down. Yeah, it was fourth down, yeah. yeah. So whatever issues that they've managed to work out, a, another one has cropped up and continued from last year. And this is against teams that are generally not very good. And the one sort of success they had against Notre Dame was when a Notre Dame linebacker went in the wrong gap and Trayvon Henderson hits a 60-yard run. Mm-hmm. So... That wasn't even Ohio State doing something right. It was Notre Dame screwing it up. So it kind of feels like if you look at both sides of the trenches, Michigan should have an advantage. And that's not something we've said about Ohio State recently. Um, Michigan's offensive line, yes, but the other way around, it's been much closer. I don't think that we're going to see that this year because that offensive line has taken a major step back. Yeah, I, you know, I would compare them to some of the Michigan teams that lost to Ohio State during the streak, um, where they have like some real good players and then some big holes that everything just kind of rotates around. So like the things that are going well for them. Josh Fryer, their right tackle, is a lot better than I think people expected preseason. He's he's a dude. You know, uh Amika Buka's rounding into form as like a as a good number two receiver to like complement Marvin Harrison. So they have more than one guy. And Cade Stover, they're actually throwing the ball to him now. So like they have those three things working that I don't think that they that were supposed to be concerns. I think that on the other side, the left tackle situation is not getting any better. And uh, their and their quarterback situation is not getting better. Kyle McCord is probably coming in at the very lowest of expectations that we had for you know a guy who understandably was sitting behind you know the best rookie quarterback of the of the year. I mean, it was kind of remarkable in that Maryland game where he was dropping back and just breaking the pocket. Yeah, and like they were backed up, and Maryland just elected to not cover Marvin Harrison, <laughs> so he's behind the defense by ten yards. And McCord gets it out there, but it's short, so it's they see they're able to tackle, and it just kind of felt like that Maryland game was Maryland. It, it, was, it was it was that moment where you're like, this guy just doesn't have, he's not seeing what's out there. Um, you know, they have he has guys getting open. He has uh, the same reads that that you saw Stroud getting, and he's just not seeing them. Uh, he he's like he's not you know like the way we've been t- saying JJ McCarthy can anticipate. He's not anticipating. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that is something that can't change, right? Like, the thing that is the problem is that this is Ohio State halfway through the season, and they're not going to be the same Ohio State by the, by the time the game runs around. They are kind of running out of time, though. I mean, Alex, have you any takes here uh, on the on the Buckeyes? <laughs> I'm fascinated to watch them against Penn State. I think that's going to be a nasty, low-scoring game because Penn State's a team with a secondary built to beat Ohio State. They got some real players back there. And if Ohio State isn't running the ball on you know, Maryland, I don't think they're going to be able to on, on Penn State. And that's the potential weak point of Penn State's defense being their defensive tackles. And obviously Penn State's gotten a lot of pressure this year against teams. And if Ohio State's left tackle situation isn't great, uh, I think that could be a pretty tough matchup for Ohio State's offense. But on the flip side, I don't believe in Penn State's offense much at all either. <laughs> so I think that could be a 13 to 10 kind of nasty game. Yeah, Drew Aller is currently averaging, I think, the lowest yards per target. Uh, not yards per target. 
average depth of target in the power five. Uh, his receiver core is Keandre Lambert Smith and not a whole lot else. And both of their star running backs have seen their yards per carry average drop precipitously this year. Um, so it kind of feels like yeah, it's the same old Penn State offensive line, but what they don't have is they don't have a mobile quarterback to bail them out. So Sean Clifford last year was the most dangerous thing about that offense because he could break the pocket. And it was distinctly frustrating to play against him because I remember Michigan just not getting any pressure because they weren't trying to. Mm -hmm. They were trying to uh, constrict the pocket, hold him in there, and as a result, he got plenty of time to, to try and do what he wanted to do. Now, they didn't score any points based on that, but I was frustrated by it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was frustrated. They were using Taylor Upshaw the whole game. And, I mean, that, that told you exactly what they're doing, but you're not going to have Taylor Upshaw this week, this time. You're going to have them try to stop Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart yeah. and Jalen Harrell, who's actually been coming around as a, as a pass rusher. So, you know, Drew Aller, he's pro football focused, loves him. Um, he's grading out very well. And I think that he's probably been a better quarterback than we've really given him credit for because his depth of target is so low. But, like, that's the way the Penn State's been running their offense this year. In fact, James Franklin got a question this week. How come you're not chucking it up and, you know, trying trying to hit receivers downfield? Now, that was phrased so badly that Franklin was just like, I would never – we never do that. We never throw the ball and just have receivers go get it, which is true and not true. They were getting a lot more man coverage because of the type of offense they were because their quarterback demanded you put somebody down in the box. Um and Drew Aller's not getting that. He's getting a lot more zones, and he's finding the right guys. It's just they they don't have anyone to throw too deep, so they're not even running those verts. Yeah, their their wide receiver core is unusually weak for Penn State this year. Mm -hmm. So that's just uh, what did you rank them in the preseason, Alex? Uh, I don't remember. It was maybe fourth or fifth. Out of, I mean, this was a weak wide receiver group but yeah I'd, even at the time i was pretty down on those receivers relative to their usual standard so that's the big 10 because we don't need to talk about the west um, <laughs> yeah in, in the pac 12s swan song they have uh three undefeated teams in usc oregon and washington all of which have uh veteran explosive quarterbacks and questions on defense less so questions uh, in USC's case, but more like just bad answers. Um, Were you watching that Arizona game last week? <laughs> I, I fell asleep during it, and I woke up and I was like, oh, hamburgers. But I watched a big chunk of it. It was remarkable how well the Arizona defense was doing against Caleb Williams. I mm -hmm. was I was flabbergasted by that, and uh, I think Jed Fish might actually get something going there. But, <clears throat> I mean, I don't, I don't believe in USC one bit. Nope. Yeah. Like, they, they're going to be the same thing as they were last year. They're actually a dog to Notre Dame this week. They're a two-and-a-half-point dog to, to ND after they came off a pretty dispiriting loss to Louisville, which says, I think, everything you need to know about what, what the oddsmakers think about USC's defense. Yeah, I mean, you look at their last three results. They won by 14 against Arizona State in a game that was competitive into the second half, and Arizona State is brutal this season. They won by seven against Colorado, and we know that Colorado probably isn't very good given what happened against Oregon. Uh, and then that game against Arizona, which I can't believe that Jed Fish did not go for it. I know. On, I mean, you're you're good shit, anything. Jed. You are good shit, Jed. How could you not have some good shit for this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially because, like, what do we want to like have the game hang on? Our defense versus Caleb Williams or our offense <laughs> yeah. versus right. the USC defense. Right, one play against that defense, and you're out of there with a win against USC. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think that USC, I'm selling all my USC stock. <laughs> I am much more interested in Oregon, Washington. The fancy numbers and some of the like EPA numbers, things like that, seem to like Oregon a lot more than Washington, or certainly Oregon's defense a lot more than Washington, but we'll see how they measure up against each other uh, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, and that, that whoever wins that game has uh, inside track for a playoff berth. And the Pac-12's resumes are so strong this year. I mean, you have Oregon State and Washington State, the Pac-2, both ranked. You have UCLA, looks, you know, reasonably good. Um, you have enough, like, 
power in that conference that I think a one-loss Pac-12 champion is still in. Yeah, don't forget Arizona, too. I mean, they've been losing what they've been losing to the top three, right? And they're... I mean, yeah. yeah, they they made it close against Washington as well. It's a deep conference this year, and Oregon I'm watching in particular because if they beat Washington, the remainder of their schedule, they get Wazoo, Oregon State, and USC, but all at home. So there are only two road games left after Washington are at Arizona State, who we don't think is very good, and then at Utah, which is a tough place to play, yes, but I don't think Utah's looked great this season, to be honest. Well, they lost Cam Rising, and their yeah. offense went in the tank. Mm-hmm. So they were looking to be the same sort of nasty defensive outfit that has you know, a guy making up for a lot of issues on their offense single-handedly, and then they just haven't had that. So, you know, if Rising is back and healthy for that game, I think that'll be a major challenge. If not, you know, it's just going to be a suffocation. Because we've seen what Colorado's offense has been able to do against most teams. And, you know, it's taken them a, a while against the Nebraska or whatever, but Oregon completely throttled them. Yeah. And so... You guys in are believers in Washington? We haven't really talked about Penix? Like... I like Washington a lot. I think they're a good team, good offense, but we'll see. I mean, this is a, tomorrow they host Oregon in their building. Got to yeah. win that game. So that'll be their first litmus test. And the SEC uh, seems like it felt like a step back for Alabama and Georgia, particularly early in the season. And now they're both rounding into form. Uh, Alabama, maybe less so than Georgia, but Jalen Milrow seems like he's becoming a real quarterback and not just a guy who runs around and tries to make things happen off schedule, um, <clears throat> which is deeply disappointing. I really want that Alabama second loss to <laughs> prevent any, I mean, this isn't a year where it feels like it's likely that any conference gets two in, right? No, there's going to be one lost teams in the pac 10. There's going to be a one yeah. lost team in the big yeah. 10. Like if you have yeah. a one lost team and they're, they lost to Texas. I mean, maybe if they beat Georgia, cause like that's the, that's that's the way Alabama gets in, right? Is that like Georgia goes undefeated and then plays Alabama in the SEC championship, and we get that? Yeah, that'd be so annoying this year, though. With oh, we've, else we've also there. we've also got Oklahoma, uh-huh. who's undefeated, has a win over Texas. Texas beat Alabama, right? Yeah. So it's going to be hard for Alabama, in particular, to pass a Big Twelve champion. So this could be like a nightmare scenario where there are five conference champions that all seem about as good and you're going to have to leave one out and it should be Georgia. Well, <laughs> guess guess who Oklahoma's toughest uh toughest opponent left is? Kansas. Um, number 23 Kansas. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't matter cuz they have the 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 correct win, right? Right. Yep. I'm just saying Oklahoma's schedule, like they, people have been whining about Michigan's schedule, but they're going to be pretty strong by the time they're done with their November. And Oklahoma, they play Texas. And then the rest of the games are UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, who, whew, that was a fun game to watch last night, uh, BYU and TCU. Well, those are all decent teams. They're not playing nobody. They're just playing teams. Uh, I mean, they're all kind of, I, other than Kansas, they're all kind of like Purdue-level teams. Yeah, I mean, they're probably better than that. Uh, <laughs> but so you have, in the ACC, you have Florida State and pretty much nobody else at this point for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, UNC is still undefeated, right? So true. Technically, <laughs> I just, I mean, <laughs> Dude, I mean, are we even allowed to mention their overtime game, or is it just not worth even bringing that up for people? Yeah, who... you can. Okay, well, yeah, they up. went to overtime against App State. And that was yeah. like a game that they should have lost four times. So, so I, I don't really have a lot of faith in them getting to the end of the season with a playoff-worthy look, I guess. And I think that's what it's going to come down to this year, right? It's going to be a beauty pageant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's also going to be a lot of intrigue, I think, on conference championship weekend, right? Because if FSU's schedule is pretty easy down the stretch, Oklahoma's is easier down the stretch, then you get into the conference title game, and without divisions now, you could have Clemson or, or a Duke against Florida State and then Texas Oklahoma rematch, right? And then all of a sudden that weekend is really determinative of what happens. And same thing in the Pac-12. Like you could have Washington Oregon part 2 in the, oh, the Pac-12 title. I game. hate I hate I hate rematches. Got to hate rematches. What are you going to do? All you do is destroy information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? that's a good way to put it. Yeah, right. Um 
I mean, Michigan's only path is to win the Big Ten, and they can take a mulligan, right? They can they could lose to Purdue and win out, and they're still in. Because beating Penn State and, and Ohio State, maybe Wisconsin is enough. Um, so they're not going to <laughs> lose to Purdue. <laughs> but from, from the perspective of like, oh, should we have played UCLA? I think th- for this particular season, it wouldn't have mattered. Because yeah. the only teams that are going to the playoff are conference champions. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Um, I still wish they had because I don't even remember yeah, the ECU I mean, game anymore. <laughs> like me, me, me too. But yeah. like, what are you gonna? Do? Yeah. Uh, so it kind of feels like this is a, a proper swan swan song for the Pac-12. Uh, we should not have destroyed that conference. But uh, actually, I shouldn't say we. You shouldn't have destroyed that conference. Whoever did it, Fox. I, we're kind of Fox, big man. Ten. We're we're we yeah. are Big Ten. We are Fox. We watch these games. We have Big Noon Saturday at Indiana, like for, for, at Michigan, and there's it's not Indiana that's bringing Big Noon Saturday to Fox, to uh, Ann Arbor this weekend. Oh. So Big Noon Saturday. All right. Yeah. So it looks like Michigan is in a, a good spot to make the playoff for the third consecutive year. Penn State doesn't have an offense. Ohio State can't run the ball. Michigan looks pretty dang good. Yeah, uh, I mean, these, they're going to be games. It's going to be weird the first time Michigan is playing, and I'm like, "Oh, this is a football game. What's going on?" Right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I mean, like, it's not oh. going to happen this weekend, but no, it's not. There's going to be a point there where I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> this is at Michigan this is State." Wow, no, probably not. No, all right. Probably going to be Penn State. No. Well, ha- happy Big Noon Saturday. Happy Big Noon Saturday, guys. We'll see. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka.